Welcome to Imperfect Allies. My name is Chris. My name is Richie. And we're here to talk to each other about what it's like to be white and what it's like to be black in America. Our goal is to have a candid conversation about race and how it impacts and intersects our daily life, as well as our country. The episodes offered here are based around real, candid conversations that Richie and I have and they're available if you support the show. From those conversations, we take a deep dive into topics that we discover to better empathize and understand ourselves and our American culture. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Allies Imperfect. Well, let's start the show. All black everything, black cards, black cards, all black everything. And I girls a black purse, riding with a villagers. I can't more in depth if you boys really rhythm really enough. All right, welcome to Imperfect Allies. This is Richie. I'm Chris. All right, man, we're here to talk. When what a week to talk about! <laughs> oh, so true. Wow. Well, um, I mean, I think that's been on our on our minds and hearts and Facebook pages is Nick Cannon. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's um, you know he has a lot of people that support him. He also offended a lot of people and lost his job. So I think that's all pretty interesting stuff because it comes around race and um, just the experience in America from many different perspectives. So I, I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, yeah, me too, man. Uh, you know, and, and just <laughs> losing his job, uh, it's reminded me of losing one of his jobs. And I, I feel that in my spirit <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because like, as a, as a man who has worked multiple jobs at multiple times last year, I was working three, um, you know, just to kind of make things work. Um, I feel that. And I know he's making more money than me, but you know, I, I still, still, <laughs> you still understand. Still, I still understand a little bit, uh, you know, about that. Yeah, man. So, um, yeah. So I guess if, if you don't know, um, Nick Cannon, uh, has a podcast called Cannon's class. And last year he and professor Griff, who is, uh, he's a member of, uh, public enemy, um, I had a conversation and in that conversation, they, um, I, it took me, and I don't know, Chris, if you can give me some insight on this, but it took me, it took me going through about five or six articles to really figure out the anti-Semitic stuff that they were getting to. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I think it's hard to even understand unless you are deeply in the uh, maybe I, I would even say progressive black culture, like it's not pervasive, but it is known of some anti-Semitic viewpoints in, our, in the black community. And it's almost um, it's almost not even intended to be malicious. Like in our in our opinion, we actually don't think it's hateful, which is why I think it's also so interesting because it's very much hateful, but it on our surface level, it's a perfect example of maybe what a lot of uh, unassuming white Americans do every day to um, the black community where they do something that they believe is unassuming, not hateful. And um, it, it, it definitely has some deep ramifications. Yeah, man, I could. Uh, the more that I listen to, I listen to the podcast, I uh, read our articles about it, uh, looked up some of the, the players and people that, that were that were being discussed and. I could see a lot of parallels uh, between some some things that white people believe about black folks, and um, it was really uh, it was really really eye opening, um, you know, because 
Hmm. You know, we, we've talked about this this idea that that kind of racism is just pervasive; it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, I, I want to. I don't know. What do you think about framing this more as like prejudice and discrimination um, versus flat out racism? I'm, what do you What are your thoughts on that? See, and and that would be my original thought, except for if if you don't know much about Judaism. You know, um, not not too much more than a, a couple hundred years ago, you have the Zion movement of Jewish people classifying themselves as an actual race of people, you know, and and that's new. They were a religion and now all of a sudden that they are actually a race. So so I, I, I don't know what to call it because <laughs> um, they kind of identify themselves as a as a as a ethnicity specifically but almost a race now you know what a jewish person might look like um with the curly hair and potentially other features so yeah well and so semitic i mean looking this up you know it comes from it's an old classification of a group of people and it extends south from the from the horn of africa north north africa up to uh the middle east and um linguists use that term now like semitic languages and stuff but if you look at it, it's like Middle East, African, uh, some Greek, some Asian. You know, it's a pretty, di- it's actually a pretty diverse group of people. Yeah. Uh, and group and group of languages. Um, and so Nick kept talking about how you know, and I was trying to find you know what what was the hateful things that he was saying because I I didn't hear them, mm-hmm. and that gave me pause because I have not heard. Uh, well, you know, when people talk about black people or whatever else, and I have not heard it before. The, you know the things I'm hearing now. You know the things I was I didn't see before. You know I'm seeing it now. There, so he couldn't notice it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm trying to like do that same thing with this particular issue. Like, okay, so what am I not hearing? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and really what I I think what it boils down to is that they were really hitting on some anti-Semitic tropes and conspiracy theories that seem to be the consensus across both. Um, um, black uh, media and um, our journalists and uh, Jewish journalists, white, you know, all kinds of different folks um, that that seemed to be the biggest, the biggest thing. And I, I am ignorant of all of that, really of all of that stuff. Uh, I don't have much of that. And, and that's what's crazy is black people. And I, again, that's a broad stroke, but black people are so ignorant of this trope being um it's happening over thousands of years. It's not a new trope. And I'm only speaking on this with knowledge because I had to call someone like because mm-hmm. I was the black person that listened to this and was like, he ain't lying. You know, like I, <laughs> I had no clue. And mm-hmm. I promise you, my brothers and sisters, a lot of them are saying, I don't know why everybody's upset. He's not lying. And, mm-hmm. and so it is so believed from our perspective that these tropes are reality, that we don't know it. And this is exactly how the white community has felt for years about black people. And and so that's why I think this is so perplexing. But I called a buddy of mine who I went to school with, um, who honestly, I didn't know he was Jewish. And we kind of had that conversation is the only difference between Jews and black people is they can pass for white. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Their story is identical in every other way other than that. And, you know, I, uh, I mean, I'm not ignorant of like, you know, the idea or the the um, the st- stereotype or racist conspiracy theory that Jews rule the world. Like I, I get I've heard that before. Um, 
what was new to me in this. So, I mean, I guess, I guess I, I'm ignorant of like that in the, like what, what that's like in the black community or what, what's talked about in the black community about that. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like it's similar. Like there's not much talk about it. Like, you know, well it, for us, mm. and I guess this is how every culture has done it. You know, I've never been a Nazi in, in Nazi Germany. I've never been an Assyrian or a Babylonian. I've never been Palestinian. So I don't, I don't have any, um, knowledge on what their angers were, but I'm aware of what mine has been told to be from the black experience. The idea is that the Jews were the ones who financed slavery and the, um, the trafficking of black people. And so, so you just add the root cause to it and then you add on the trope and nothing changes. Wow. And it's that's to me in doing and this in my research and stuff, that seems to me to be another way for white people to try to pass the buck or like make it not about them. I know that sounds I mean, um, not current maybe, but just the the powerful whites that that actually did um that did promote and uh slavery, that did create the country. Uh none of them were Jews. <laughs> like <laughs> like uh, and I say that I, I laugh because it's like, well, uh, how did they, how did those men in control that were supposedly Jewish, all of them were not specifically not. So that's a weird, yeah. I mean, the percentage, weird. the percentage of Jews is low. Uh, unfortunately they've seen genocide after genocide. So there's not many right. Jews, uh, in the world. Uh, but, but on top of that, you do have these rich financial class Jews that people point to as the problem. But what's so interesting about it is those people, you go back a couple of generations back, they had nothing and they had to um, scrape and and climb and, and come up with some principles. And obviously their religious faith is so strong that that's another guiding principle to end up having wealth because you know, it just takes um, uh, dedication and, and uh, generations and uh, basically a good foundation. And, but it doesn't happen overnight. And so, you know, th- this 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 Jewish wealth isn't a worldly thing that that that's kind of just the Western world that that um, that the Jews are able to be very prosperous. And and at every moment, Christians use that as a potential reason to hate them. And that is what happened. Black people were given this trope. We didn't know who maliciously came up with it or who discovered it, but it wasn't originated from black people. It's it's a you know, it's a Christian and Islamic ideation. And that that's where we are today. And Nick Cannon believed it so much. He put it on his podcast with millions of listeners. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild because you don't. um, um, Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. I don't I don't know what else to say on it other than like it's 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 complex, right? So it's very complex and and really interconnected uh, to to like you said to like black black people. It seems like yeah, like the um, it's, the, it's not the well, not the theory so much, but just like that idea of oppression and rising above oppression that um, that you know, that where you're, you're made low and then all of a sudden that you're on top and what that, uh, those systems in place that try to keep you down or put you in your place. Yeah. 
Um, that's really, really interesting the the parallels, uh, in that, um, another yeah, thing that, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just, yeah, the, uh, the conversation I had with a buddy of mine, it, the, the relationship between black and Jewish Jews are the only white people on the planet that know exactly what we experience. And, and that is profound to me that, that they are the scapegoats in the situation when they're the only people that truly understand our only difference is that they walk in this world and they are white, but they, when we speak about how we feel and our experiences, they literally understand. They don't sympathize. They empathize. They have been there. They've walked in our shoes and they carry those legacies on. So it's just very painful that it's painful from their point of view that the black community is the one that would say these things and believe these things when we are the the two uh, cultures that are the most yoked. Well, yeah. And it's not just, I mean, uh, just to give you some relief pressure, maybe it's not just black people. <laughs> I mean, looking, finding, like going through, trying to find information about this stuff. There were so many just like crazy racist um, videos and stuff that's like, that is a hundred percent on board with the idea that Jews rule the world. And, and that's why he got fired and, and da, 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 da. And it's like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is pervasive, pervasive. And it, and it, it just reminded me. And like you said, it reminded me of the pervasiveness of, of the um, misinformation about black culture and black people in general. Like that's just pervasive. Right. Um, it's really, that's really interesting. And, and I know I'm I, I sound like a race trader to uh, to many black people when you have this conversation. I've I had it today with several black people and they they, mm. they reminded me how little I know of our history. And they were like, you just you need to learn our history. That's you're missing it, brother. You're missing it. And and trust me, I was I was them a week ago before this was big. You know, I've heard it and I've never been the person that was a proponent of it because it there was always one thing missing. Uh, it was how did they steal Jude? How did Judaism? How did Jews steal blackness and and their religion? And on top of it, why would anybody want thousands of years of oppression? I, those are the two things I couldn't I couldn't figure out. But um, mm. but in our community, when you say that this that what Nick Cannon said is wrong and is a lie, they question if you even know what you were talking about. Do we know where that started? The idea in the, in the black community did that start? Is that Nation of Islam? That, is that where it started? Or so I would I would I would be speaking out of lack of knowledge, but I okay. I feel like I can trace it back to the freedom fighting of uh, the pre Malcolm X days, where you do start getting people looking for nationalities, people looking for some kind of connection, because what black people don't have in America is roots, right? The, right. the separation of your lineage is so catastrophic for black people that it's so difficult for uh, many of them to trace back where they're from. And then you read this story and hear these stories of what Jews have been through and you go, that's that's me. That is mm. us. Yo, wow. I'm a I'm a Jew. Why are these white people walking around like they have what? I? That's me, not you. You don't understand my plight. And what happens is we forget that one, 
Judaism, not all Jews are white and and, and it's a religion. It, you can you can convert, you can take it on. I think of it the same way as Islam, where you have people like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who said, you know, I have roots in Africa that are Islamic and I need to change my name and, and rid myself mm-hmm. of this American ideology and go back to my roots. And he was able to do that and has strengthened that. But a lot of black people are searching for those roots. And so the idea of being God's chosen people and the Shiams from the tribe um, of Shiam, that is so um, not, not uh, what's the word? Not shiny. The word shiny is coming up to my mind, but attractive. That is so attractive to a, a, a group of people that have had their history erased and, and stolen from them. And what we've been taught in America, uh, and I, I hate to say it so cavalier, but I'm, 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 I understand the weight of what I'm about to say. I just have lived with it so long that it, it, it feels cavalier is the white man did this to me. And so if I need to try and come up with who did it this time and I'm actually a Shiam Jew, it must be the white Jews that orchestrated the whole thing. It's it's not hard. It's actually a, a easy assumption to make. But but it's those easy, you know, sayings and quotes and things that become pervasive and everyone remembers. And um, unfortunately, the 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 stereotypes of Jews is one that is very pervasive, like we've been saying. Yeah, it's a simple answers for a very complex situation. Yeah. Yeah. And it points back to, you know, um, I was just curious about the Nation of Islam because I'm learning about it. And uh, as I learn about uh, Malcolm X uh, and Elijah Muhammad and uh, Mr. Farrakhan, um, th- those yeah. folks, just just to, because that's part of that's part of my history. It's part of my history as an American. Yeah. And because um, the, um, the I mean, I know the idea, the the idea, the anti-Semitic stuff. Uh, for most whites started in Germany, more than likely. <laughs> mm-hmm. We got a pretty direct line to that, um, unfortunately. But I was just I was just curious about that. Yeah, I think you're 100 um, percent correct, by the way, because Louis Louis Farrakhan is the most quoted person to um, to speak out openly about these ideals. And and when he speaks on them, he speaks to them with such pride and truth without any hate. He says there, there's no hate in this. This is just the, the truth. This is the reality. Um, and and that is a big proponent. He's he's the. Yeah, I would say it came from him. That's actually yeah. a really good point on your part. Hmm. I'm just, yeah, and, and not trying to say, and I, and I don't, and I'm not trying to label anybody as as this, that, or the other things. Just trying to find out where the ideas came from. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the things that really stuck out to me uh, that Griff said and and Nick backed up is that we are gods, and that idea um, is is that there are. While that is in lots of different cultures, specifically Yoruba tradition uh, in West Africa has the idea of Uri, which is a O-R-I, which is the idea of head. They say it like um, they, they call it, it translates directly to head, but it means, uh, uh, well, it's complex. I'm trying to do a simple. <laughs> yeah. What, what it means is that your godness, your you, the part of you that is God, that is fully its own separate God that is also interconnected with everything else. Yeah. So that idea is is way, way older even, you know, than and, and, and there are there are cultural roots in, in Africa um, outside of outside of maybe these other these other things, uh, you know, you're talking about. Um, so. Yeah. And I think I think when that gets heard. 
um, especially from a Western perspective, it sounds like supremacy, right? It sounds like the idea of being a God. I had this discussion because I, mm. I, I love talking to people that have a different opinion than me. And it's the best way for me to get the understanding of the world. And many people believe that that speech right there is black supremacy, which is funny because when I heard it again, maybe my own indoctrination, I didn't think anything about supremacy saying someone has their own godliness and we are all gods is also to me very religious in the idea that we are all made in God's image. And so we do all have godliness in us. There are parts of us that are godlike. And when you think about our consciousness and, and our connections with, with God and faith, like those, those aren't physical. There, there is some, some spiritual and physiological uh, um, things that connect us to God. So, so speaking of that godness into the black community does that all the time. And I mean, it's just, it's just a part of our culture. And so it's, it is shocking when people say that's, that's black supremacy, but that's how it is interpreted. Oh yeah. I mean, any, and, and that's, and, and I'm, and I'm seeing that more and more, um, it, it, that's that's really interesting. The idea of white supremacy versus black supremacy and what those two look like. Yeah. So white supremacy says, um, you know, whites are a pure race, or they're um, uh, they're they're cognitively better and they're morally better. Those are basically the three mm-hmm. the three you know principles of it. Uh, and then so we have a whole um, system in place that we're living in now that was based off those ideals. Right. Whether we want to agree with, like uh, people will say, oh, I don't agree that that's true. Doesn't really matter if you agree with what what's put in the, so just say the constitution, for instance, the constitution was, was written for white, specifically rich white males. 100%. Nobody else. And and the Not ideals that are in the constitution. Right. The ideals that are in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, sure, they can expand and people really attribute like, oh, they knew they were foresighted and, and uh, or farsighted. And they, they knew that that meant this, that eventually things were going to we're going to have equity in our society. Mm-hmm. I don't really <laughs> buy that. Um, but um, just because of the way that I, I see that how power works and has worked for millennia. Uh, the powerful can make the rules and, and, um, or at least try to make the rules. And yeah. there wasn't really an attempt. Um, so a hundred percent. And, and, and an uh, addition to that is the, the saviors that we have historically that are supposed to not be racist were still white supremacists, even Abraham Lincoln. Um, and there's many times you can, you can look it up and find quotes of him saying that, you know, I think the the peculiar institution of slavery is problematic. Be- and I also think that we can't live together as two different races. The plan was to have the freed slaves sent to Africa. And so the idea that the two races could unite because um, they are all equal, that was not a that's a new modern idea that was passed in 1960s <laughs> like this is yeah. new women's like it's all new it is new it is new and um and, and and sort of and sort of comparing that to black supremacy black supremacy says and they talked about that like they talked about how uh you know people without melanin didn't have didn't have uh, compassion and and uh, they were sad they were the true savages which is really 
I mean, it, it really is just borrowing from the, um, the culture theory. It's about, it's borrowing from sort of the, the 17th century race theory, mm-hmm. you know, that, and it's just kind of putting their label, the labels that, that, you know, exchanging one for the other, that kind of thing. But what makes the, what makes it really different is that black supremacy is not in power. Black supremacy is not subjugating white people. Black supremacy does not uh, keep me from getting a job, a house. Black supremacy does not murder me, uh, officially murder me on the street or not, or no, you know, those kind of things. So that's the difference in those two ideologies and their power in the country now. And and black supremacy is the idea of it is almost as close to the idea of individualism. Uh, which is kind of funny how it might come full circle that way. But when I think of, you know, my black kings and queens, my black gods, like it's saying you as an individual have godliness in it in you and you can do great things that it has. It doesn't it doesn't even leave in that one person. And so, um, like you said, it doesn't have any kind of power play upon somebody else. And and so maybe that knowledge that black people have that we can't even understand why people are afraid of black power phrases and um, and, you know, black godliness like it has nothing to do with anyone but that individual. Yeah, that's interesting. The the idea of of, of uh, individualism in this particular thing, because it is very complex. So you get guys like um, uh, you get guys like Dick Gregory, who through through the majority of uh, the last half of his life is like, look, this stuff is happening. This race stuff is happening. But you as an individual have to live like your best life. You got to change how you eat. You got to change how you think. You know, you are the you are the you are the engine of your destiny. I don't care who's oppressing you, that kind of thing. And uh, I mean, is that is that the kind of messages in the black community? Oh, a hundred percent. The The thing is, it, it's not spoken anywhere else other than in the black community with the, the, the language that we use. And so it is, you know, you, you are a black king, black queen. You have to carry yourself. You have to stand up because they're going to try and tear you down. That is the society we live in. But you have to stay strong and, 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 and stay uh, steadfast. And because it's only black people using that language upon other black people, we don't even actually notice that it is individualism in the same regard that Americans do it upon other Americans. So it's just or just upon themselves. And so. Um, that's funny to think about it that way, but that is what it, that is what it is. Well, can you go over like individualism versus collectivism a little bit and just kind of run that down for us? Yeah. And and so a lot of people don't notice which one they believe in until they come across the other ideology, but individualism is a relatively new idea. It is a Western idea um, that has adapted over time. And it is the idea that you as an individual can take control. You are, you are equal. We're all equal individuals, but we have the responsibility to take control and take action in our own lives to then build the best lives for ourselves. And so it is very focused on the singular person, you individual, your rights, and no one should tread upon your rights. Collectivism is a older idea. It is more of an ancient idea of the idea that the collective, we are a people together and our people together have our own culture and we must stick together. And it typically leads more to um, equality as in everyone has the same means, even though those means might not be much. Um, 
but the collective group is everyone is trying to take care of each other and it's a very different ideology than individualism okay and how do you i mean how do you see individualism in america how do you see that it's kind of coming the fruits of that yeah so individualism is so powerful for acquiring wealth it, it's it's probably the only effective way to acquire financial wealth and so individualism is a person can go out, build something, and in a capitalist system, they can be rewarded for their actions. And so in America, man, individualism is amazing. What's interesting, though, as a black man is, you know, I'm not anti-individualism. I just have to think outside of my, like, it's hard for me to think just about myself. I think collectively first. So so, so individualism is, is slightly uncomfortable. Um because I think of my people, who I am, the groups that the, I exist in, the dynamics that we all share, you know, it, it collectivism does have broad generalizations, but those generalizations are used in a way to protect yourself, you know, in a way to stay safe and, and um, know who to trust. And so it can be also divisive in that way. Um, and that's kind of what individualists see when they think of collectivism. They see the divisiveness, but it is a more unifying group. It is a safer group. You don't have um, you don't have kind of a lack of self because you have a group that you are connected to. You have culture that you share. And so collectivism, I see, leads to happier, happier souls and individualism li- lends towards you know, wealthier livelihood, I guess. I've always thought of it as, um, you know, the idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps um, and the idea of like self-made man. Yeah. Uh, it was always confusing to me, you know, because uh, that was the ideal that I was given. Like you, you earn your, you earn your keep, you do, um, you know, you work for your money and your family. And it's, it's about personal achievement, right? Yeah. And from that personal achievement, then then we collectively are great. Uh, was always kind of what was how it was taught uh, or how I not how I was taught, maybe, but how I how I ingested that. Yeah. Um, which I think I think that is is so short sighted <laughs> uh, on, on how just humans live and have lived for tens of thousands of years. I mean, the old, oldest civilizations on the earth, uh, the aboriginals that, uh, that are in Australia, for instance, they go back 50,000 years and they're the, you know, the oldest living right now. Mm-hmm. It's been a collective society for that whole entire time. And part of the problem that they're facing is, is, is the introduction of individualism or individual personal, like, Oh, I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be famous and I'm going to be uh, wealthy um, those ideas, there's also p- policy idea. There's, there's it's a very, again, I'm not trying to give simple am- answers right. to a complex issue, but that is one of the things. It's one of the things that we face here in America too, is just kind of, you know, getting mine, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that is the American way. And that's kind of the capitalistic way. And we see that in democracies, you know? And so that's the beautiful thing about individualism is it breeds democracy and freedom. And, and so there's so there's so many strengths to it, but we have quantified we have we have added a value system to which one is better. And and that has left 
those that are collective minded feeling less than. And we we say it, you know, the Aborigines, we the Native Americans, uh, every culture that you think of that is tribal. I, I don't know many Americans that go, wow, look at look at just how happy those people are. <laughs> you know, they don't they just see the poverty and and most of those communities don't even think of themselves as impoverished. Right. Right. And they're not. That's the thing is that is that their um, system or standard of living uh, is different. But that doesn't mean that it's worse. Um, I mean, one one disparity like disparity I see is medicine. Right. Medicine. But they still have medicine that they use that um, has been working for them for, again, tens of thousands of years. So, um, yeah, it's it's a very. It's a very complex issue. And I wonder if this is, is another instance, because I think that you and I are finding, and you, you tell me if you agree with me or not, but integration of is is absolutely essential. So the integrating of individualism and collectivism like might be what's needed. Only because we we have multiple cultures in this country. If if it, it was the way of white supremacy, then yes. You know, if no black people were ever brought here. And that 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 more Aboriginal culture was never um, brought here. Then, a hundred percent, it could have stayed individualism. But for the success of our nation in America as it is today, in the country that we all love, because the ideals extend to everyone, we need to integrate those two aspects. And that's the last piece that we haven't done. Right. I mean, just like we have an in- integrated race, you know, it's just not it's just not happening. Um, yeah. And it's it's it was. It, it was interesting to me going back to, to Nick and professor Griff, like that was not an integrated conversation. Right. No, no. And it's the same as the, you know, you, you hear stuff from the white house. It's not integrated conversation. Like truly, like, you know, we, we mutually respect one another and, and listen to one another's ideals and, um, and ideologies and things like that. And, and, um, which is to, to me, it's a more Afrocentric just kind of, philosophy is that is that you know the the doors are are more open and you have value even even though you're different mm-hmm. um and and uh, i'm not going to judge your um way of doing things just because it's different than mine i might even adopt it and be like hey that's a better way to do exactly do that particular thing you know um, and, and that's that's the thing that we have to uh, we have to understand is adopting more of everyone's idea leads to that better community culture that we all want. And like you said, individualism has beautiful benefits, especially when you think of life expectancy and medicine and wealth. But we do see the stratifications in our society and we do see like this this epidemic or this pandemic is a perfect example of how an individualistic nation struggles more so than a collective nation on getting over a virus. So many other countries have solved it already because they are a collective nation first. And so they all band together to be like, hey, let's get rid of this virus. And in America, you got people saying my rights are being infringed upon wearing a mask and it's about me. So, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, man. You're right. And I think that's the core sort of division. And and um, going back to, you know, the divisions between um, Jewish people and black people, or, um, you know, we talked about in previous conversations about uh, poor whites and blacks. Um, 
those divisions help keep uh, those that are in power, um, uh, whether it be political or wealth, you know, um, it keeps them in, the, in their in their place in, the, in that in that place of power. Yeah. Um, if we're fighting with each other, if we're constantly bickering or fighting or uh, you know calling this one that thing and, and that one another, you know those kind of it th- we won't ever see what's what's sort of happening is hey, there's only nine people that have all the wealth in the world. <laughs> We don't see that. And it doesn't, their, their ethnicity has nothing to do with it. Their religion has nothing to do with it. Mm-mm. Um, you know, it's, we have, we have, we have those in it. I'm not talking about Rothschilds and whatever else. I'm just talking about like people that are in power that have um, enormous wealth. Uh, they're the new Kings and the new Kings and Queens. And as long as we're fighting with each other, those that are, um, you know, middle class or, 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 or whatever, poor or whatever, whatever it is, but below that level of wealth, uh, it seems to me that the, it, it, it's to their benefit that we're distracted with these kind of things. And and that is so powerful because, again, you think about where did the black community come up with the idea of of the Jews are the problem like that? That doesn't benefit black people at all, even having the thought process. So who does it benefit? And if, again, if we're fighting each other, those that are accumulating all the wealth and resources are the ones that are are, are surviving. Um, now, I I hate to take the conversation into this direction because I, I want this to be a time of, of unity and acceptance. But I'm, I'm curious because in the black community, now, I'm not trying to say anything is I'm not trying to value um, add a value to any of these attributes. I'm just pointing out a potential reality that we live in. Um, so. Humans are all a stratification. We're all over the place. We have so many differences. And so it individualism is beautiful because it allows you to see individuals as who they are on their own because they have different personalities, different cultures, all of that. But what I'm curious about is on a large scale, the difference in collectivism and individualism is how did this new idea of individualism come to be? And why is it predominantly a white ideology? Um, not saying that it's good or bad or that race matters. I'm just I I really think there's some biological and historical keys to this that can be tracked. And, and so I wanted to just propose this this theory that um, that black people kind of prescribe to. And this was some of the stuff that Nick Cannon poorly used bad language. He used really poor adjectives talking about less than because of melanin uh, and lack of melanin. And he was talking about sun power. And that was getting people a lot of uh, confusion and, and off topic. But I, but I think the foundation that a lot of black people prescribe to and understand is your skin tone tells you about how long ago your ancestors left Africa or Australia or Central America. If, um, if your native American is still alive, right? So, so the darker skin tone you are, the most likely you are closer to large vegetation, closer to the equator, closer to a wealth of resources, And the more resources you have, the less you have to think about survival and you can just be a collective group and and, and spend time in in that 
that place, your home. And so when I think of Africa as um, sub-Saharan Africa, not not northern Africa, I mean, you have so much abundance of resources and same with uh, America, for the most part, north and south, that those aboriginal tribes had no need to go out and and um, create a culture of expansionism and um, individualism. But when you look at cultures that are further from the equator that then therefore have lighter skin, it has nothing to do with their skin tone. Skin tone does not cause these things. But if you are in a place that is colder, there are therefore less resources. And when you are in a place with less resources, the um, the uh, better. What did, what did you say earlier? The individualism is what's the ideology? The best man may the best man win kind of thing. Sure. Pull your pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That is a requirement well, for survival. Right. And, well, and I think that I think that is. Um, or I think in the black community, we see that as a major difference in how we walk through the world. And so I was just curious what your thoughts were. That's good, man. That's a lot. So I, I, um, you know, use the term biological and I think, I think that, uh, I think we've got to be careful. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, just because I, we're not different biologically. I mean, there's, there's very, there is, there's almost no difference at all. Right. Yeah. You I know, mean, that, culturally. Um, but biology is how we see the skin tone of what, where our home, right. Essentially. Right. For sure. For sure. And, and I think too, that, that, um, the scarcity of resources, things like, uh, I mean, if you, if you look at like, um, Northern Asian folks, um, Mongolian, like Mongolian specifically, or further West in Scandinavia, the, um, uh, the Sami people, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then further, further out West, you have, um, the Inuits, you, you know, in, in the, in North America, those, those folks never had, well, Mongolians for, for, for sure had that idea of expansion Yeah, uh, for sure, but under Genghis Khan, but, um, you know, some of the, I think the idea, uh, the real, the real like solidified idea of, of expansionist comes out of comes out of Europe and it comes out of um, uh, philosophy, thought and, and into psychology. I think there's a real clear history of oh this is the um, best way to do things. We don't have to uh, work as a collective. We can individually be uh, better than ourselves collectively and um, and and so now that we know that we can, we, we can be better individually individually, we are now superior, more civilized. Um, and we're going to go now teach, you know, I guess the, the, um, the magnanimous side, if there is a side of, of Western thought is we're going to go teach these people that they can be individuals and be successful. Uh, the sort of evil side of that is, yeah. And we're also going to take their gold and take their people and destroy their culture. Like, yeah, (laughs) because we're going to destroy it, uh, for their benefit, you know? So it's, it's, um, I, I'd love to, I'd love to maybe in another episode, break down the history of that. Um, because it's, it's pretty clearly Western, uh, coming out of, um, 16th, uh, 15th and 16th century Europe, that, that, mm-hmm. that idea, it, it blossomed as far as recorded history goes. We don't, yeah. you know, we don't have, you know, past the Greeks going back or Babylonians. We don't, we don't have anything, but, um, you know, even, but even ancient tribes, uh, and near ancient, there was never an expansionist, 
um, idea. Like they were going to take over tribes, we're going to take over their land. Um, but it wasn't like we're going to take over the world, you know? Um, and that, that I, that I may even started back toward Greece, I guess, but yeah, there's, there's definitely, I think there's a definitely clear lineage of coming out of Europe specifically, um, that, that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because it doesn't hit like the Sami folks in, uh, the people in, um, in Scandinavia or the Inuits that didn't hit them. Right. Right. But they're light, they're light skinned into they're light skinned, um, uh, indigenous people. So, um, yeah, I don't, uh, uh, I think it's pretty clearly out of there and it's, um, that's why I think it's so important to study like, um, the Afrocentric view is because, um, to me that, um, I know there's some controversy with that too. So yeah. it's, you know, everything, again, no, no simple solutions to complex issues, but um, I mean, that's my two cents on it, man. If that, if that hits home. Yeah, no. And, and I think uh, looking at those other Northern Aboriginal groups uh, is definitely important. Um, I, I know that when, when people like Nick Cannon and definitely in the black community, living in a society that makes your melanin a problem you often look for reasons why your melanin is uh is a is a solution it's is the best thing ever and so so these ideologies again some people might hear them and think of them in a vacuum and think black people are are trying to say that they're better than everybody but it's it's come out of a a need to have some form of self-love and double downing on on who you are as a person and uh, especially after the civil rights movement and as integration started um, and the same as the worldly integration started, like more people started moving to America after that, um, after that kind of struggle of black lives. Once, once the civil rights movement happens, more people started immigrating here and of different nationalities and all of those things start contributing to the little space occupied by black Americans getting smaller and mm. um, and the need to have more self-love and, and more authentic blackness grew out of that. And unfortunately, some of that also became you need to disconnect from the individualistic ideology. You need to break away from the white American ideals and the Western philosophy. And you need to trust in your Afrocentric uh, collectivist group and and distrust everything else and that was out of self-preservation and so so that's where some of these ideas come from and I that's why I, I didn't want to not bring them up because it, it's important to work through them for black listeners and white listeners to understand that you know these aren't evil ideas they are just ideals for survival uh, in the ecosystem that but the black experience is in America and so um, yeah, so that, that was just some of the, the thoughts in the black community. Yeah. Well, I'm learning a lot, man, <laughs> Same. for sure. For sure. Um, so, so yeah, you were talking about, um, kind of switch gears, uh, lady antebellum. Yeah, as well. So I think what you said is really profound. You know, you're learning a lot right now and same, same, um, so am I. That's the word. <laughs> and it takes so much work. Like we have to do this every week to learn what we're trying to learn. And then we have to do research on our own outside of this 
to truly understand the differences in our cultures. And that is no small feat. And so you have a lot of imperfect allies right now who aren't even at the level of um, imperfection that we are at. You know, it, it, (laughs) it takes work. And, and so you have groups like Lady Antebellum who clearly weren't aware of the weight of their name. And as a black man, I've always had a deep seated frustration with that group. Therefore, I've never listened to their music by choice, um, which wrong, you know, maybe the content of their character should have been my first thought. But that that name said you don't even know what black people experience. So um Lady Antebellum changed their name with the George Floyd movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. And so they changed their name to Lady A, you know, dropping the root of antebellum, which goes to before the war, before the Civil War, life in the South, which was so amazing for um, rich white people and um, really women had a beautiful time as well. And so Lady Antebellum is a tribute to the Southern charm, the Southern white woman who was imperfect and untouched by the uh, bad things in the world. So they changed their name to Lady A, unaware to them that a black soul singer has been going by that name, Lady A, for over 20 years. And as the imperfect allies that Lady Antebellum uh, are, they sued this black woman for the name rights. And that is so tone deaf, I don't even understand it. Wow. Wow. You said something really, really sparked something to me is that, you know, when you heard the name, you immediately knew that they had no idea about your experience. And I think that is key to all of this white and black conversation is that, is that my children are yelling now. Hopefully they'll quiet down. I can't hear them. (laughs) Okay. Well, all right. Um, yeah, that hearing that, um, really sparked something in me in that, um, you know, when you said, um, they were so tone deaf, even their name showed you that they had no idea about your experience because if they did, they wouldn't call themselves that. Mm -mm. Right. Antebellum South was one of the worst times for black people in any age. Worldwide. worldwide throughout history, you know, um, we want to, you know, well, that's a whole other discussion, but we want to talk about slavery. Well, slavery has existed forever. Okay. Let's, okay. If it does, if it has, take a look at what that looked like. I, 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 I challenge those folks that say that to look at what history looked like historically. And it did not look like antebellum South slavery. Um, it just didn't, it didn't anyway. Well, that's another episode, right? Uh, but but I think that's what, I think that's part of the work of white people right now is to take a look at those things and listen to black people when they say those kind of things, right? What are you doing? What is in your life? What media, what clothes, what, it doesn't matter, whatever piece of your life that black people are like, Oh, I have no, nothing to do with that because you know, they, this is totally tone deaf to anything. It's, it's almost a, like I don't exist or that my experiences is, is not relevant when and it's and it's that's the that's the key issue with white people right now. I think is that we're 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 oh boy, uh, we're all tone deaf 
and to and I, I think that's a perfect thing because the reason we see what we're seeing today in our society and why the rioting got so big and why the looting and and all that anger um got manifested in the way it did is because years and years of white tone deafness you could no one could hear us saying politely yo this stuff is offensive and you're saying you want us to be integrated you're saying this is our country and every man is equal but you have all these symbols that are saying otherwise and you don't even you don't even listen to me when i tell you that these things are are problematic for my life experience and my psychology and you say get over it life is hard things like that um but then we get to a big climactic issue like we are now where our country is in risk of pulling one way or the other and a lot of people are frustrated with that and don't want us to be here we could have proactively prevented this by listening sooner and and so i want that to be a knowledge for the future of our country is when we see these little groups, we need to at least hear them. We don't have to 100% agree, but listen and see if enough people are speaking up and then go, let's look at legislation and let's actually do this the democratic way and change this stuff appropriately. But unfortunately, it always ends up with violence because that's what gets people's attention because us, anything we said before, everyone was tone deaf to. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've had so many conversations where people are just like, it doesn't exist. Systemic racism just does not exist. And um, that's not going to get us anywhere. That's not going to get us anywhere at all. Like that view um, is, is ignorant. And I don't mean morally decrepit or gross or whatever else. I don't mean a bad person. I mean, you do not know your history. Right. If, if these, you know, if we're not listening, if we're not believing, um, believing black people, you know, the same way that we, we, we talked about this in another, you know, conversation is, you know, the way that we believe we're beginning to believe women, right. We've got to believe people. We've got to believe trans people. We've got to believe, you know, and then this, this specific, um, this specific issue that we're dealing with right now is, is, is black lives and, and how they, how they have, they are still, uh, systemically oppressed and dehumanized, um, their freedom is freedom for all marginalizes. Like it's the beginning of all, if we begin to listen to black people, um, like we've began to listen to women, if that, if that, if that tide continues to roll, we are looking at an equitable society, but we can't, we can't dismiss. And I'm just talking to white people, white people, we cannot dismiss and take away uh, or, or I'm sorry, explain away someone else's experience. It's, it is ridiculous. It is a ridiculous thing to do. And I, yeah. (laughs) And, and, and I, I don't want everything to come back to, you know, police and black on black crime and all of these things that, you know, can be debated and have their own solutions and their own causes. But at the end of the day, just hearing what a group of people in our, your country have to say is important because we are part of America. We are American culture. We are we are American history. And when people say Black Lives Matter, yes, that movement was mainly focused on police brutality. But it was it was birthed out of the idea that, yo, I, y'all aren't acting like I matter. And that's getting on my nerves because this is supposed to be my home, too. And like I produce great things and I we build companies and, and, and black people are doing amazing things in this country. But you're not acting like we matter. And so it's just very painful. And I, I know all situations aren't the same. 
And I bring this to Black Lives Matter. And if you see some hypocrisy within the group, that hypocrisy is birthed out of if if you're not listening to me when it was really bad, I don't think you're going to listen to me at all. So I got to bring up everything. And so there are some situations where you might hear Black Lives Matter and you go, man, that's barely something you should be fighting for. Well, unfortunately, when I was fighting for something real, you didn't hear anything. So I have to complain about every little thing. And if you haven't looked into the Philando Castile death, when Officer Yanez killed this man because he had a gun in the car, which is a Second Amendment right. And and the fact that the cop said, do you have any guns in the car? And he said, yes. And he he, he was then shot within seconds of that comment any second amendment wielding person should have been screaming but they weren't and that makes you go dang do do black lives matter and then you move forward to the same city a white woman is shot by a police officer again for the wrong reason but that cop was immediately thrown in jail he 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 was one of the only cops that have been thrown in jail for killing someone and he was black and so you look at that situation, the prosecutor was the same for both cases, but he used a totally different approach in the case. With the white woman that was killed, he said to the jury, do you think the cop feared for his life because this woman was this nice little white woman? And that was enough for the jury to go, Psh, nope, that cop killed an innocent person. Yeah. But the, the guy didn't. He, the prosecutor never said that about Philando Castile, and that—that that is what we're talking about. Those little instances matter, and and we just just please listen. That's it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And there's uh, Chris. I mean, there there are there are th- those of us that are, and and um, I'm really glad you're here. I'm really glad to do this with you, and uh, I'm I I don't know about you, but I feel edified and lifted up even when we talk about these hard things you know because we're doing it together yes yes true integration as us sharing stories our realities communicating sharing our cultures and our ideas this is america (laughs) we are a bunch of imperfect allies man (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks so much for your time man we'll talk soon all right have a good one all right you too